Section five of Over Prairie Trails by Frederick Philip Grove. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bruce Peary. Snow, Part One. The blizzard started on Wednesday morning. It was that rather common, truly western combination of a heavy snowstorm with a blinding northern gale, such as piles the snow in hills and mountains and makes walking next to impossible. I cannot exactly say that I viewed it with unmingled joy. There were special reasons for that. It was the second week in January. When I had left home the Sunday before, I had been feeling rather bad, so my wife would worry a good deal, especially if I did not come at all. I knew there was such a thing as it's becoming quite impossible to make the drive. I had been lost in a blizzard once or twice before in my lifetime. And yet, so long as there was the least chance that horsepower and human willpower combined might pull me through at all, I was determined to make, or anyway to try it. At noon I heard the first dismal warning. For some reason or other I had to go down into the basement of the school. The janitor, a highly efficient but exceedingly bad-humoured cockney, who was dissatisfied with all things Canadian, because in the old country we do things differently whose sharp tongue was feared by many and who once remarked to a lady teacher in the most casual way if you was a lady i'd wipe my boots on you this self-same janitor standing by the furnace turned slowly around showed his pale and hollow-eyed face and smiled a withering and commiserating smile you won't go north this week he remarked not without sympathy for somehow he had taken a liking to me which even prompted him off and on to favour me with caustic expressions of what he thought of the school board and the leading citizens of the town i of course never encouraged him in his communicativeness which seemed to be just what he would expect and no rebuff ever goaded him into the slightest show of resentment we'll see i said briefly well sir he repeated apodictically ye won't i smiled and went out but in my classroom i looked from the window across the street not even in broad daylight could you see the opposite houses or trees and i knew that once a storm like that sets in it is apt to continue for days at a stretch it was one of those orgies in which titan wind indulges every so often on our western prairies i certainly needed something to encourage me and so before leaving the building i went upstairs to the third story and looked through a window which faced north but though i was now above the drifting layer i could not see very far here either the snowflakes were small and like little round granules hitting the panes of the windows with little sounds of ping ping and they came driven by a relentless gale in such numbers that they blotted out whatever was more than two or three hundred yards away the inhabitant of the middle latitudes of this continent has no data to picture to himself what a snowstorm in the north may be to him snow is something benign that comes soft-footedly overnight and on the most silent wings like an owl something that suggests the sleep of nature rather than its battles 
the further south you go the more of course snow loses of its aggressive character at the dinner-table in the hotel i heard a few more disheartening words but after four i defiantly got my tarpaulin out and carried it to the stable if i had to run the risk of getting lost at least i was going to prepare for it i had once stayed out snowbound for a day and a half nearly without food and altogether without shelter and i was not going to get thus caught again i also carefully overhauled my cutter not a bolt but i tested it with a wrench and before the stores were closed i bought myself enough canned goods to feed me for a week should through any untoward accident the need arise i always carried a little alcohol stove and with my tarpaulin i could convert my cutter within three minutes into a wind-proof tent cramped quarters to be sure but better than being given over to the wind at thirty below more than any remark on the part of friends or acquaintances one fact depressed me when i went home there was not a team in town which had come in from the country the streets were deserted the stores were empty the north wind and the snow had the town to themselves on thursday the weather was unchanged on the way to the school i had to scale a snowdrift thrown up to a height of nearly six feet and though it was beginning to harden from its own weight and the pressure of the wind i still broke in at every step and found the task tiring in the extreme i did my work of course as if nothing oppressed me but in my heart i was beginning to face the possibility that even if i tried i might fail to reach my goal the day passed by at noon the school-children the teachers and a few people hurrying to the post-office for their mail lent a fleeting appearance of life to the streets it nearly cheered me but soon after four the whole town again took on that deserted look which reminded me of an abandoned mining camp the lights in the store windows had something artificial about them as if they were merely painted on the canvas wings of the stage setting not a team came in all day on friday morning the same burroughs would have said that the weather had gone into a rut still the wind whistled and howled through the bleak dark hollow dawn the snow kept coming down and piling up as if it could not be any otherwise and as if to give notice of its intentions the drift had completely closed up my front door i fought my way to the school and thought things over my wife and i had agreed if ever the weather should be so bad that there was danger in going at night i was to wait till saturday morning and go by daylight neither one of us ever mentioned the possibility of giving the attempt up altogether my wife probably understood that i would not bind myself by any such promise now even on this friday i should have liked to go by night if for no other reason than for the experience's sake but i reflected that i might get lost and not reach home at all the horses knew the road so long as there was any road but there was none now i felt it would not be fair to wife and child so reluctantly and with much hesitation but definitely at last i made up my mind that i was going to wait till morning 
my cutter was ready i had seen to that on wednesday as soon as the storm had set in i had instinctively started to work in order to frustrate its designs at noon i met in front of the post-office a charming lady who with her husband and a young anglican curate constituted about the only circle of real friends i had in town why i exclaimed what takes you out into this storm mrs Blank? the desire she gasped against the wind and yet in her inimitable way as if she were asking a favour to have you come to our house for tea my friend you surely are not going this week i am going to go to-morrow morning at seven i said but i shall be delighted to have tea with you and mr Blank. i read her at a glance she knew that in not going out at night i should suffer she wished to help me over the evening so that i should not feel too much thwarted too helpless and too lonesome she smiled you really want to go but i must not keep you at six if you please and we went our ways without a salute for none was possible at this gale-swept corner after four o'clock i took word to the stable to have my horses fed and harnessed by seven in the morning the hostler had a tale to tell you going out north he inquired although he knew perfectly well i was of course i replied well he went on a man came in from ten miles out he was half dead come look at his horses he says in places the snow is over the telephone posts i'll try it anyway i said just have the team ready i know what i can ask my horses to do if it cannot be done i shall turn back that's all when i stepped outside again the wind seemed bent upon shaking the strongest faith i went home to my house across the bridge and dressed as soon as i was ready i allowed myself to be swept past stable past hotel and post-office till i reached the side street which led to the house where i was to be the guest how sheltered home-like and protected everything looked inside the hostess as usual was radiantly amiable the host settled back after supper to talk old country the channel islands the french coast kent and london these were from common knowledge our most frequently recurring topics both host and hostess that was easy to see were bent upon beguiling the hours of their rather dark-humoured guest but the howling gale outside was stronger than their good intentions it was not very long before the conversation got around reverted so it seemed to stories of storms of being lost of nearly freezing the boys were sitting with wide and eager eyes afraid they might be sent to bed before the feast of yarns was over i told one or two of my most thrilling escapes the host contributed a few more and even the hostess had had an experience driving on top of a railroad track for several miles i believe with a train snowbound behind her i leaned over mrs Blank, i said do not try to dissuade me i am sorry to say it but it is useless i am bound to go well she said i wish you would not thanks i replied and looked at my watch it was two o'clock 
there is only one thing wrong with coming to have tea in this home i continued and smiled it is so hard to say good-bye i carefully lighted my lantern and got into my wraps the wind was howling dismally outside for a moment we stood in the hall shaking hands and paying the usual compliments then one of the boys opened the door for me and in stepping out i had one of the greatest surprises not far from the western edge of the world there stood the setting half-moon in a cloudless sky myriads of stars were dusted over the vast dark blue expanse twinkling and blazing at their liveliest and though the wind still whistled and shrieked and rattled no snow came down and not much seemed to drift i pointed to the sky smiled nodded and closed the door as far as the drifting of the snow went i was mistaken as i found out when i turned to the north into the less sheltered street past the post-office hotel and stable in front of a store i stopped to read a thermometer which i had found halfways reliable the year before it read minus thirty-two degrees it was still dark of course when i left the house on saturday morning to be on my way also it was cold bitterly cold but there was very little wind in crossing the bridge which was swept nearly clean of snow i noticed a small but somehow ominous-looking drift at the southern end it had such a disturbed lashed-up appearance the snow was still loose yet packed just hard enough to have a certain degree of toughness you could no longer swing your foot through it had you run into it at any great speed you would have fallen but as yet it was not hard enough to carry you i knew that kind of a drift it is treacherous on a later date one just like it only built on a vastly larger scale was to lead to the first of a series of little accidents which finally shattered my nerve that was the only time that my temerity failed me i shall tell you about that drive later on at the stable i went about my preparations in a leisurely way i knew that a supreme test was ahead of myself and the horses and i meant to have daylight for tackling it once more i went over the most important bolts once more i felt and pulled at every strap in the harness i had a clark foot-warmer and made sure that it functioned properly i pulled the flaps of my military fur cap down over neck ears and cheeks i tucked a pillow under the sweater over my chest and made sure that my leggings clasped my fur-lined moccasins well then to prevent my coat from opening even under the stress of motion just before i got into the cutter i tied a rope around my waist the hostler brought the horses into the shed they pawed the floor and snorted with impatience while i rolled my robes about my legs and drew the canvas curtain over the front part of the box i weighed dan with my eyes i had no fear for peter but dan would have to show to-day that he deserved the way i had fed and nursed him like a chain the strength of which is measured by the strength of its weakest link my team was measured by dan's pulling power and endurance but he looked good to me as he danced across the pole and threw his head biting back at peter who was teasing him the hostler was morose and in a biting mood 
every motion of his seemed to say what is the use of all this no teamster would go out on a long drive in this weather till the snow has settled down and here a schoolmaster wants to try it at last he pushed the slide doors aside and we swung out i held the horses tight and drove them into that little drift at the bridge to slow them down right from the start the dawn was white but with a strictly localized angry glow where the sun was still hidden below the horizon in a very few minutes he would be up and i counted on making that first mile just before he appeared this mile is a wide well-leveled road but every so often at intervals of maybe fifty to sixty yards steep and long promontories of snow had been flung across some of them five to six feet high they started at the edge of the field to the left where a rank growth of shrubby weeds gave shelter for the snow to pile in their base alongside the fence was broad and they tapered across the road with a perfectly flat top and with concave sides of a most delicate smooth and finished looking curve till at last they ran out into a sharp point mostly beyond the road on the field to the right the wind plays strange pranks with snow snow is the most plastic medium it has to mould into images and symbols of its moods here one of those promontories would slope down and the very next one would slope upward as it advanced across the open space in every case there had been two walls as it were of furious blow and between the two a lane of comparative calm caused by the shelter of a clump of brush or weeds in which the snow had taken refuge from the wind's rough and savage play between these capes of snow there was an occasional bare patch of clean-swept ground altogether there was an impression of barren wild bitter-cold windiness about the aspect that did not fail to awe my mind it looked inhospitable merciless and cruelly playful as yet the horses seemed to take only delight in dashing through the drifts so that the powdery crystals flew aloft and dusted me all over i peered across the field to the left and a curious sight struck me there was apparently no steady wind at all but here and there and every now and then a little whirl of snow would rise and fall again every one of them looked for all the world like a rabbit reconnoitering in deep grass it jumps up on its hind legs while running peers out and settles down again it was as if the snow meant to have a look at me the interloper at such an early morning hour the snow was so utterly dry that it obeyed the lightest breath and whatever there was of motion in the air could not amount to more than a cat's paw's sudden reach at the exact moment when the snow where it stood up highest became suffused with the rose-red tint from the rising sun i arrived at the turn to the correction line had i been a novice at the work i was engaged in the sight that met my eye might well have daunted me such drifts as i saw here should be broken by drivers who have short hauls to make before the long-distance traveller attempts them 
from the fence on the north side of the road a smoothly curved expanse covered the whole of the road allowance and gently sloped down into the field at my left its north edge stood like a cliff the exact height of the fence four feet i should say in the centre it rose to probably six feet and then fell very gradually whaleback fashion to the south not one of the fence posts to the left was visible the slow emergence of the tops of these fence posts became during the following week when i drove out here daily a measure for me of the settling down of the drift i believe i can say from my observations that if no new snow falls or drifts in and if no very considerable evaporation takes place a newly piled snowdrift undisturbed except by wind pressure will finally settle down to about from one-third to one-half of its original height according to the pressure of the wind that was behind the snow when it first was thrown down after it has in this contracting process reached two-thirds of its first height it can usually be relied upon to carry horse and man the surface of this drift which covered a ditch besides the grade and its grassy flanks showed that curious appearance that we also find in the glaciated surfaces of granite rock and which in them geologists call exfoliation in the case of rock it is the consequence of extreme changes in temperature the surface sheet in expanding under sudden heat detaches itself in large leaf-like layers in front of my wife's cottage up north there lay an exfoliated rock in which i watched the process for a number of years in snow of course the origin of this appearance is entirely different snow is laid down in layers by the waves in the wind adfoliation would be a more nearly correct appellation of the process but from the analogy of its appearance i shall retain the more common word and call it exfoliation layers upon layers of paper-like sheets are superimposed upon each other their edges often cropping out on sloping surfaces and since these edges according to the curvatures of the surfaces run in wavy lines the total aspect is very often that of moire silk i knew the road as well as i had ever known a road in summer there was a grassy expanse some thirty feet wide to the north then followed the grade flanked to the south by a ditch and the tangle of weeds and small brush beyond reached right up to the other fence i had to stay on or rather above the grade so i stood up and selected the exact spot where to tackle it later i knew this drift would be harmless enough there was sufficient local traffic here to establish a well-packed trail at present however it still seemed a formidable task for a team that was to pull me over thirty-three miles more besides it was a first test for my horses i did not know yet how they would behave in snow but we went at it for a moment things happened too fast for me to watch details the horses plunged wildly and reared on their hind feet in a panic straining against each other pulling apart going down underneath the pole trying to turn and retrace their steps 
and meanwhile the cutter went sharply up at first as if on the crest of a wave then toppled over into a hole made by dan and altogether behaved like a boat tossed on a stormy sea then order returned into the chaos i had the lines short wrapped double and treble around my wrists my feet stood braced in the corner of the box knees touching the dashboard my robes slipped down i spoke to the horses in a soft quiet purring voice and at last i pulled in peter hated to stand i held him then i looked back this first wild plunge had taken us a matter of two hundred yards into the drift peter pulled and champed at the bit the horses were sinking nearly out of sight but i knew that many and many a time in the future i should have to go through just this and that from the beginning i must train the horses to tackle it right so in spite of my aching wrists i kept them standing till i thought that they were fully breathed then i relaxed my pull the slightest bit and clicked my tongue good i thought they are pulling together and i managed to hold them in line they reared and plunged again like drowning things in their last agony but they no longer clashed against nor pulled away from each other i measured the distance with my eye another two hundred yards or thereabout and i pulled them in again thus we stopped altogether four times the horses were steaming when we got through this drift which was exactly half a mile long my cutter was packed level full with slabs and clods of snow and i was pretty well exhausted myself if there is very much of this i thought for the moment i may not be able to make it but then i knew that a north-south road will drift in badly only under exceptional circumstances it is the east-west grades that are most apt to give trouble not that i minded my part of it but i did not mean to kill my horses i had sized them up in their behavior towards snow peter as i had expected was excitable it was hard to recognize in him just now as he walked quietly along the uproar of playing muscle and rearing limbs that he had been when we first struck the snow that was well and good for a short supreme effort but not even for peter would it do in the long endless drifts which i had to expect dan was quieter but he did not have peter's staying power in fact he was not really a horse for the road strange in spite of his usual keenness on the level road he seemed to show more snow sense in the drift this was to be amply confirmed in the future whenever an accident happened it was peter's fault as you will see if you read on dan once lay quiet when peter stood right on top of him on this road north i found the same promontories that had been such a feature of the first one flung across from the northwest to the southeast since the clumps of shrubs to the left were larger here and more numerous too the drifts occasionally also were larger and higher but not one of them was such that the horses could not clear it with one or two leaps the sun was climbing the air was winter clear and still none of the farms which i passed showed the slightest sign of life 
i had wrapped up again and sat in comparative comfort and at ease enjoying the clear sparkle and glitter of the virgin snow it was not till considerably later that the real significance of the landscape dawned upon my consciousness still there was even now in my thoughts a speculative undertone subconsciously i wondered what might be ahead of me we made bell's corner in good time the mile to the west proved easy there were drifts it is true and the going was heavy but at no place did the snow for any length of time reach higher than the horses hawks we turned to the north again and here for a while the road was very good indeed the underbrush to the left on those expanses of wild land had fettered as it were the feet of the wind the snow was held everywhere and very little of it had drifted only one spot i remember where a clump of russian willow close to the trail had offered shelter enough to allow the wind to fill in the narrow road gap to a depth of maybe eight or nine feet but here it was easy to go around to the west without any further incident we reached the point where the useless supernumerary fence post had caught my eye on my first trip out i had made nearly eight miles now but right here i was to get my first inkling of sights that might shatter my nerve you may remember that a grove of tall poplars ran to the east skirted along its southern edge by a road and a long line of telephone posts now here in this shelter of the poplars the snow from the more or less level and unsheltered spaces to the northwest had piled in indeed it sloped up to the east and never shall i forget what i beheld the first of the posts stood foot in snow at the second one the drift reached six or seven feet up the next one looked only half as long as the first one and you might have imagined standing as it did on a sloping hillside that it had intentionally been made so much shorter than the others but at the bottom of the visible part the wind in sweeping around the pole had scooped out a funnel-shaped crater which seemed to open into the very earth like a sinkhole the next pole stood like a giant buried up to his chest and looked singularly helpless and foot-bound and the last one i saw showed just its crossbar with three glassy green insulators above the mountain of snow the whole surface of this gigantic drift showed again that exfoliated appearance which i have described strange to say this very exfoliation gave it something of a quite peculiarly desolate aspect it looked so harsh so millennial old so antediluvian and pre-adamic i still remember with particular distinctness the slight dizziness that overcame me the sinking feeling in my heart the awe and the foreboding that i had challenged a force in nature which might defy all tireless effort and the most fearless heart so the hostler had not been fibbing after all but not for a moment did i think of turning back i am fatalistic in temperament what is to be is to be that is my outlook if at last we should get bound up in a drift 
well and good i should then see what the next move would have to be while the wind blows snow drifts while my horses could walk and i was not disabled my road led north not south like the snow i obeyed the laws of my nature so far the road was good and we swung along somewhere around here a field presented a curious view its crop had not been harvested it still stood in stooks but from my side i saw nothing of the sheaves it seemed to be flax for here and there a flag of loose heads showed at the top the snow had been blown up from all directions so it looked by the counter-currents that set up in the lee of every obstacle these mounds presented one and all the appearance of cones or pyramids of butter patted into shape by upward strokes made with a spoon there were the sharp ridges irregular and erratic and there were the hollows running up their flanks exactly as such a cone of butter will show them and the whole field was dotted with them as if there were so many fresh graves i made the twelve-mile bridge passing through the cottonwood gate reached the hovel and dropped into the wilderness again here the bigger trees stood strangely bare winter reveals the bark and the habit of trees all ornaments and unessentials have been dropped the naked skeletons show i remember how i was more than ever struck by that dappled appearance of the bark of the balm an olive-green yellowish hue ridged and spotted with the black of ancient overgrown leaf scars there was actually something gay about it these poplars were certainly beautiful winter trees the aspens were different although their stems stood white on white in the snow that greenish tinge in their white gave them a curious look from the picture that i carry about in my memory of this morning i cannot help the impression that they looked as if their white were not natural at all they looked whitewashed i have often since confirmed this impression when there was snow on the ground in the copses of saplings the zigzagging of the boles from twig to twig showed very distinctly more so i believe than to me it had ever done before how slender and straight they look in their summer garb now they were stripped and bone and sinew appeared we came to the halfway farms and the marsh lay ahead i watered the horses and i do not know what made me rest them for a little while but i did on the yard of the farm where i had turned in there was not a soul to be seen barns and stables were closed and i noticed that the back door of the dwelling was buried tight by the snow no doubt everybody preferred the neighborhood of the fire to the cold outside while stopping i faced for the first time the sun he was high in the sky by now it was half-past ten and it suddenly came home to me that there was something relentless inexorable cruel yes something of a sneer in the pitiless way in which he looked down on the infertile waste around unaccountably two greek words formed on my lips homer's pontos atrigatos the barren sea half an hour later 
i was to realize the significance of it end of section five